Amen. That is what we long for. Uh, it's good to be together. This is a good spot to be this morning. I'm just, uh, as, as Pastor Stan leads us in the beginning, and then we get to raise our voices together, hear a story from Chad of work that God is doing nearby through one of our local missions partners, and then, and then just yeah, hear voices raised to him again. It's a it's a good place to be, and I'm glad that you're here, glad uh, we get to be here together on this day, and uh, for some of you who are newer to the church, glad we get to extend it a little bit after the worship service as well, to eat lunch together, and uh, yeah, just a good day. We are, uh, our custom as we uh, have this time on Sunday morning, we meet for about an hour and 15 minutes, uh, and take about 35 to 40 minutes of that preaching. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. Uh, and this is how God builds up His church. Uh, and so we typically start at the beginning of a book of the Bible and go to the end. We're starting the book of Acts today. So if you're looking for it in your Bible, you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, you, you open to the table of contents and it'll tell you where the book of Acts is. It's in the New Testament, which is the last part of the Bible. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts comes next after that. We're going to just do chapters 1 through 7 now in the months of now until May, probably. Uh, And then we'll take a break to do some other series, and then we'll come back to this probably not until either the fall or next year, starting in chapter 8 again. But I'm looking forward to spending some time in this book. One of the things that will be different as we go through the book of Acts, uh, that for some of you, like it won't matter, for some of you, like it's going to take some getting used to, we're not going to typically, I spend a, a good deal of time each week kind of working through putting together some slides so that what I'm teaching and preaching is kind of uh, complemented by the slides that are up on the screen. Uh, we're not doing that uh, during the book of Acts. A number of reasons. One is to save me a bunch of time during the week in doing it, but also because of this. One of the themes of the book of Acts is that what happens when Holy Spirit-empowered disciples of Jesus Christ, with their lips, proclaim the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the same one who inspired the words of Scripture, the same one who dwells in the disciples who are proclaiming the Word of God, that same Spirit works in the hearts of people that they might hear the Word of God, believe the Word of God, be saved and be built up. And this has been happening for centuries and continues to happen in many places around the world, believe it or not, without PowerPoint. Uh, and so, um, so we're not going to use that extra tool, which is sometimes helpful, but we're going to, so here's what's going to have to happen. Uh, if you have a Bible, bring it with you on Sunday and you don't get to kind of lean on the crutch of, well, I don't have to really pay much attention because it's going to be up on the screen. It's not. You're going to have to have your Bible open and keep it open the whole time. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get one to you. And if you don't have one and just want to borrow one on Sunday when you come, that welcome counter, you'll walk right by it as you come in. There's Bibles there. Just grab one of those and you'll have one with you. So, Acts chapter 1. I'm excited for many reasons to be getting into this book. Last year, we went through the whole book of Daniel and we finished up our series in the Gospel of John. And if you get to the end of the Gospel of John, You're in John chapter 21, and the way my Bible works is you turn the page and we're in the book of Acts. So one of the reasons we're in the book of Acts is because we just got done with John. And in the book of John, we got to see here's who Jesus is, and here's what Jesus did. And then the book of Acts really answers the question, and then what? And then what happened? 
what happens after Jesus comes and lives and dies and rises again and then ascends to heaven. Then what happens next? The book of Acts will help us with this, and I think will help us as a church to see how we're not just the social club of people who happen to like each other and have nothing else to do on Sunday morning, but that we're a group of people for whom Jesus has died and a group of people that have a mission together. We're part of the ongoing work of Jesus, and so I think the book of Acts is going to help us see how we fit into that. It's going to help us to see, here's what life looks like when the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to dwell in people. They are propelled to go out on mission to those nearest to them, those in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, and then to take that same gospel and see that it might be spread to the ends of the earth. That's what I hope we see as we go through the book of Acts and see how we're just a part of that good work that God is, has been, and will continue to do until Jesus comes back. So that's the goal. That's what we're doing. We will read Scripture together, Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. And our custom is that we stand as we read the Word of God. And so if you would, please stand. I'm going to pray and then we'll read. Father, I, I just pray that, that your Spirit would be at work now in such a way in minds and hearts that could be racing in all sorts of different directions. Would you help us to get it together now for these moments that we might clearly hear your Word that we might believe your word, and then that we might apply and live out what your word has to say. We're hopeless on our own. We need you, Jesus. And so be at work now through the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's hear God's word from Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, and be seated. So in your bulletin, there is a lot, uh, you probably noticed. Uh, In your bulletin, there's uh, uh, the connecting point that Pastor Stan mentioned. So grateful for those stories and hope that you take a chance to read those later. uh, later. And right now, take out your sermon notes and life group guide 
uh, because that might be helpful for you as you seek to hear the word, and, and it maybe even especially without kind of an extra visual aid that you might need to be writing some things down on your own. Uh, and then there's a life group guide to follow as well. But you'll see in that outline there that we're going to begin with Acts chapter 1, 1 through 5. I just read 1 through 11, but in 1 through 5, what we have is the beginning of a sequel. Did you note that right away? That, that it says right there in verse 1, in the first book, O Theophilus. We know about sequels because some of you are book readers. You've read a book in a series, and you've read one, and you can't wait until that next one is published. Some of you are TV watchers. Some of you are movie watchers. And so you've watched a TV show episode, and they leave you hanging at the end, and you're, oh, what's going to happen next? You've watched a whole season of a TV show, and then you've got to wait for the next one, right? Or you've watched a movie, and you, you're, oh, oh this was awesome, but I can tell there's going to be a sequel. There's going to be more to this story. Well, this is a sequel. The book of Acts is a sequel to the book of Luke. In the order of our Bible, it comes after the Gospel of John, but it's actually a sequel to Luke. Luke wrote Luke, and then Luke wrote Acts. And, and so he begins by saying this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. See, all of Scripture, Luke is even quite a ways into Scripture, all of Scripture, Jesus refers to the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, Jesus referred to it often as the Law and the Prophets. All of the Old Testament pointed ahead clearly to Jesus. Even from Genesis chapter 3, where one would be born of the seed of the woman, uh, the true and better Adam that we sang about earlier, this one would come and would, would, would take care of the curse that had come into the world through sin. And then one man, among all the men and women on the face of the earth, one man was chosen, this man Abraham. And so, so from him, this promise was given, and from him, and then a, a king many years later, David, and there would be a, a king in the line of David. There would be this priestly kind of role, and Jesus would come to be the priest. All of the Old Testament, the law and the prophets, pointed ahead to Jesus. And so, in many ways, the book of Luke, the first book, is like this climax of all that had come before it, all of it pointing ahead to Jesus, one big story that the Bible's telling. And in Luke, we get to hear the good news. The longest story or, or account of the birth of Jesus is in the Gospel of Luke. So we hear, here's how Jesus was born. Here's what it looked like while Jesus lived. Here's what it looked like to have a taste of the kingdom of God on earth. Jesus healing and doing all sorts of things while he was on earth. But then, Jesus, the main character, the one to whom everything points, in the Gospel of Luke, he's unfairly tried and put to death. He's buried in a tomb. And then, three days later, he's raised from the dead. And the book of Luke ends with some appearances that Jesus made with his disciples during this 40-day period before he ascended to heaven. And if you looked at the end of Luke, you would see that the end of Luke is the ascension of Jesus. And so what we have at the beginning of Acts is kind of a bit of a review. This happens when we look at sequels, doesn't it? that they look back to a, a kind of a review and a reminder of here's, here's what we saw up till this point that helps us get ready 
for what is to come. And Acts 1, 1 through 11, is a beautiful introduction to this excellent book that Luke wrote, inspired every word of it by the Holy Spirit. And so, that's what we see in Acts 1, 1 through 5. Here's what's happened up until now. Here's what's happened up until now. You have Jesus suffering. It says that in verse 3. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering. Jesus suffered and died, and then he presented himself alive to them. It tells us here in in Acts 1, verse 3, that this happened over a period of 40 40 days, where Jesus would proclaim the kingdom of God to them. And he also told them, we're told in verse 4 and 5, that they are to wait in Jerusalem. They're going to have a mission that goes far beyond Jerusalem. But his instruction is, right now I want you to wait. And what are they waiting for? Look at it in verse 4 and 5. They're waiting for the promise of the Father, which is that in a few days they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, immersed in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God himself who has always existed and has at times in history before this come to individual people at individual times for specific purposes. But the promise of Jesus to the disciples is there's a day coming when all of you are going to be immersed and baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to wait into, in Jerusalem until that time comes. This is what's happened up until now. And then this prompts in the disciples a question. The title of the sermon today is, Now What? Because that's really what the disciples are wondering. So go ahead, and if you have your Bible still open, which I hope you do, look at verse 6. This question from the disciples, knowing that Jesus, whom they've been with for the last three years, is about to ascend into heaven, and they're supposed to wait until the Holy Spirit comes, they ask what sounds like a logical question for them. Remember, all of the disciples are Jewish. They are men of Israel. Okay? So they have a question based on what they've heard their whole life. They've heard prophecies from Isaiah and prophecies from Ezekiel about a future time when the kingdom would be restored to Israel. So they're wondering, is this it? Like, if Jesus, if you're going to leave now and you're supposed to be the king, doesn't this have to happen like right now? So, look at verse 6. Here's their question. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time? That's a logical question. They're wondering, well, now what? Is this the next phase in God's plan for all of human history? Is the next phase in God's plan, Jesus ascends, we wait for the Holy Spirit, but before that, doesn't the kingdom get restored to Israel? Isn't that what Jesus came to do? Isn't that what comes next? That's their question. And Jesus answers them, not by saying, well, that's not a good question. It's a logical question for them to ask. But Jesus has an answer that's going to ultimately redirect. That's the next point in your outline there. Going ahead, this is what it's going to look like. So look at verse 7. This is how Jesus answered. Remember, their question is, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Verse 7. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
So Jesus doesn't say, that's a bad question. He listens to their question, and Jesus too, knowing that there is a future plan of God, it seems, that has something to do with restoring the kingdom to Israel. So, so this, is, this is something that's yet to come, but his answer to them is, verse 7, you don't get to know the details. And that's actually not the next phase in this process. That's not what's coming next. They want to know, is this the time where the kingdom is restored to Israel? And Jesus says, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Okay, so then what? What's, what's going to happen? And verse 8 is the key. And it's really the key to the whole book. It's how the whole book is structured. So pay attention to verse 8. Jesus says to them this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the plan. God's plan for his people is way bigger than what the disciples are seeing right in front of them right at that moment. They're seeing right in front of them, what about my people? What about my nation? Is this the time that the kingdom gets restored to Israel? It, does that happen now? And what's Jesus' answer? You're not gonna, I'm going to tell you that about that right now, because here's what you're going to do right now. Here's the plan. Verse 8. Step one is what? You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that's step one. In, in, in this big redemptive history plan, the big meta-narrative of Scripture, the next thing that's going to happen after Jesus ascends is that the Holy Spirit is going to come into the believers. You will, And what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit coming? Empowerment. Why do they need to be empowered? Because they have a mission. Their mission is they will be His witnesses starting in Jerusalem, which is where they are, and in all Judea, which is the region in which Jerusalem is, Samaria, just beyond that, and ultimately to the ends of the earth. So do you, do you see what Jesus is doing here with the disciples? They're asking a good and logical question based on prophecies of Scripture and based on their own probably personal concerns as men of Israel. Is this the time that you restore the kingdom to Israel again? We've been waiting for this to happen. Right? When do you make Israel great again? Right? That's the basic question. I don't know if they would have had a hat that said that on there. Right? But they're wondering, is this the time? Is, is it about us right now? And Jesus says, hold on. I'm not going to tell you the details. The Father, that's, the, that's part of the Father's plan, but you're not going to know the details, the times about that right now. Here's what you're going to do right now. You're going to wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then you've got a job. The way the kingdom of God expands is through your being empowered by the Holy Spirit and being witnesses of Jesus right here in Jerusalem and then beyond all the way to the ends of the earth. So, so there's, there's this vision that they have and then there's God's plan that's way bigger than what they're seeing right in front of them. Do, we see, do you see that here? 
Again, not a bad question, a good question for them to ask. But Jesus says, that's not, that's not the focus right now. The focus right now is you being filled with the Holy Spirit that you might together be on mission, starting here in Jerusalem, expanding to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what's happening right now. And so, application for us in this. You might have questions too. What about Israel? You've been reading the Old Testament and you have questions too. What, what about Israel? Does God have a plan for Israel? And the answer would be, yes, it does seem that there's unful, unfulfilled prophecy yet to be fulfilled in some future time uh, as we read Scripture. But we could also probably hear what the disciples heard. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by His own authority. But here's what you're supposed to do now. Here's the phase that we're in right now, church. It's okay to pay attention to Israel, pray for Israel. That's fine, but here's what we're about now. Listen, we live in the United States of America, right? Right now, there's not as much specific prophecy about the United States of America, I don't think, in Scripture. But here's, here's the reality of living at this time in the United States of America. 2020 is a huge year, right? And... CNN and Fox News and radio talk show hosts would stand to benefit from getting you to believe that what's going on right now in our nation deserves hours and hours of your attention. They stand to benefit from convincing you of that. And there are big things going on in our nation, aren't there? Our president's on trial, it's an election year, all sorts of things. And if the, the, the voices that you're hearing most of the time are benefiting from convincing the rest of us that this is the main thing right now, what's going on in our this is what deserves our attention, we might be distracted from what Jesus actually has for us as his church. Should we be attentive, engaged, informed, and especially prayerful about what's going on in our nation? You bet we should. Do we know exactly how things are going to turn out? Does, no. Does God have a plan? Yes. Is he going to let us know exactly what that is? No. Except for this. God's plan is that through his Holy Spirit-empowered disciples, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would go out from where we're at all the way to the ends of the earth. This is God's plan. This is what we know for sure. And so this is the kind of mission that needs our attention more than anything else. So, we all have a mission right here where God has planted us, but we're also part of a mission that God has that the gospel would go to the ends of the earth. So, one of the things that we do as a church, that as you give your offering, which we just did a little bit ago, we decide ahead of time, here's the Here's the amount of money that we will give directly. It's given to us, and we will use it directly for our missions partners, locally and globally, making disciples around the world. So, so Chad sharing about juvenile justice ministry at the state training school. That's one of our missions partners. So all in all, uh, it's under, just under 20% of our budget goes immediately to our local and global missions partners. So this is a commitment that we've long had as a church. But it's also a reason, because of this command in Acts 1-8, that this gospel is to go to the ends of the earth, we recognize that many of you have a job and a family and a calling to live in Iowa Falls. And God needs people who follow Him and are His witnesses living in Iowa Falls. 
while at the same time, we need to have our eyes open to, to the work that God is doing in the ends of the earth. And so, from time to time, our church sends groups of people out on short-term mission trips. Okay? This helps us to have our eyes open to work that God is doing around the globe. Not everybody's called to do that. We've kind of adopted sort of like this three-year rotation in our church, where one year we'll send out a short-term team right here locally to do some things, the next year more regionally, and then the third year more internationally, kind of like a Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth kind of uh, rotation that we do. Most of us in the church have not gone uh, to the ends of the earth. But occasionally, and what we've done more and more recently, is we've asked our missions partners serving in the ends of the earth, working on the ground day after day, we've asked them, we don't want to tell you, hey, we got a team of 20 people who want to come and kind of descend on you and basically interrupt the work that God's giving you to do and expect that you're going to kind of take care of us. That's not a super effective way of doing it. So what we've done recently is we've said, can we be of help beyond sending you money and praying for you? Are there other ways that our church family could partner with you well? And so, quick note here from the missions committee. When we asked our Reach Global missionary in Bucharest, Romania, Mandy Roger was a part of our church uh, for probably three years, uh, maybe five, six years ago. She's now been, I think, three or four years in Bucharest, Romania. Uh, so sent out from this church. So she's one of our missions partners. We asked her. We've never sent a group over there. We asked her, what would be helpful? Not, here's what we got, deal with it. But what would be helpful to you? And here's what she said. I'm not ready for a large team yet. But what you could send me, which would be extremely helpful, is a small team of adults. Maybe two couples or a couple and one additional person who could do two things. One, minister to members of my team. So Mandy, among the other responsibilities she has there in Romania, is she is a part of a team of, I think, 12 people uh, that are all missionaries, not originally from Romania, but a part of this team seeking to be a gospel witness in this place. So here's what she says. Minister to members of my team, especially moms with small children who feel disconnected from their own culture and not fully a part of the ministry here. Okay? You that are stay-at-home moms sometimes feel isolated, Imagine being a stay-at-home mom halfway around the world, separated from all of your, right? So this is what some of them are dealing with. So she said, I need some people who can minister to them. Number two, I need people that would learn more about what I do here. My ministry to orphans and disabled children and young adults. And to be articulate spokespeople and ambassadors back to your church to help explain what our ministry here is all about. This would be helpful for Mandy, and this would be good for us. And so, as members of the mission committee prayed and considered who those people might be, people who would be well-equipped to do the things that Mandy asked, Mark, felt com- Mark is the head of our missions committee, felt compelled to ask three people, Pastor Stan Johnson, Chris Johnson, and Stacy Drew. They all said yes. And a trip is planned for March 11th, which is soon. The plan is to spend several days with Mandy in Bucharest, Romania, and then, because our other missions partners, Ed and Mindy Tarleton, are not very far away in Budapest, Hungary, they're going to go and spend the last couple days of their trip there before returning back home. So about two weeks altogether. For us sitting here in Iowa Falls, Iowa, Romania feels 
like the ends of the earth. And church, here's what the mission committee is asking from you. Plane tickets to do mission work in Bucharest, Romania, cost a lot more than plane tickets to vacation in Cozumel or Cancun, probably because they're worth a lot more. We're estimating the total cost of the trip to be between five and $6,000. Not all of us are going to go to the ends of the earth. Not all of Jesus' disciples, uh, even the ones he was addressing in Acts 1-8, would go very far beyond Jerusalem, but some would. We believe the church, the body of Christ, is called to carry out that command. That's pretty clear. This is an opportunity for us to participate in Jesus' command to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. So, please consider if this is something that God is calling you to do. In your bulletin, there's an announcement about this. Anytime between now and the end of February, you can make an additional gift by just writing out a check, putting it in the offering plate, and putting in the memo line, Romania trip, or we're also going to take a special offering for that uh, on February 16th. And so pray about what, what might God lead you to give? And so that might be for some of you, and I'm thinking kids included. Like a lot of you kids, your mom, and like you went home and said, like, Mom, can I go to Romania? Like, no, you can't, right? But, but sometimes, like, you get money for stuff. This would be a great thing for you to say, like, even if it's like $2 or $3, what a great thing for you to participate in. Right? Adults, you might have more than 2 or $3 uh, that you can give. You can say, wow, I can't go, but I want to I do what I can to make sure that these people who have already gone to the ends of the earth and are ministering in a tough place there, that they can be encouraged as we send a team of three from our church. And so maybe you can participate in that way. Maybe it's coming to the meeting after the worship service next week down there to hear more about how we can partner in a much more local way with what Chad is doing here. Just encourage us to recognize we're not a social club that likes hanging out because we like singing together. We're a group of people who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb, and we believe Jesus is worthy to be worshipped by people in every tongue and tribe and nation, and so we'll give our lives to that purpose. All right, I'm looking at the clock. I'm looking at the passage. We've got three verses left. Last verse, or last point is this. Um, It is going up and coming down again. Going up and coming down again. We have three more verses as we're going to advance the storyline. Here's what Jesus has made clear before the book of Acts. We read it a little bit in verses 4 and 5. But if you flipped back in your Bible, maybe you remember this. If you flip back, just the, the, the book right before Acts is the book of John. Flip back there to John chapter 16, verse 7. This is in the final week before his crucifixion. Jesus was trying to get his disciples ready for what was to come. And listen to what Jesus says in John 16, verse 7. In John 16, verse 7, Jesus says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's the Helper there? The Helper is the Holy Spirit, right? And so Jesus is saying, you know, to his disciples who don't want him to go, they can't imagine. They've just tripped and stumbled and put their feet in their mouth time and time again while he was with them, and now they know they're going to have a mission, and he's going to leave? How are we supposed to do this? And Jesus comforts them by telling them, it's better for you if I go. Because 
then the Holy Spirit, the Helper, is going to come and be with you. So, the ascension of Jesus is essential to the next phase of God's plan for his people. So, remind, just keep that in mind as we look at these final three verses. Verses 9 through 11. Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's it. One verse description. Short and simple. Description of the ascension of Jesus. Almost all of Luke 2 is taken up by talking about how Jesus came into this world. And when we're wondering, how did Jesus go out of this world? We get one verse. He went up in the clouds. That's how it happened. The disciples were standing there. Jesus goes up in the clouds. And can you imagine what it would have been like to be there? I'm just imagining these disciples just having a conversation. And then all of a sudden, here goes Jesus up into the cloud. So their necks are back. Their mouths are probably wide open probably not saying a word. And then here's what happens, verse 10. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And again, not very many details given there. The reality is this needed to happen. Jesus ascends, and the reality is he's going to come back in the same way. Well, you had all sorts of questions, and so do I, about how that's going to happen. Disciples probably had all sorts of questions, but what is the message to them? Wait here. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and then I've got a mission for you. Be about that. That's what you need to be about. And so that's the message I think we need to hear as a church as well. So application of this, this is a great introduction to this book. I'm not saying the sermon was a great introduction. I'm saying what, what Luke wrote, great introduction to this book. And I'm looking forward to going through it together. The stage is now set. Here's the big idea of the book. The big idea of the book is this. Jesus' work will continue through Holy Spirit-empowered disciples who proclaim the gospel of Jesus from Jerusalem, eventually to the ends of the earth. It would have been awesome to be there and see all of this. That would have been great. But we live at a great time in history. When at the moment of our conversion, for all of us who believe in Jesus, at the moment of our conversion, that same Holy Spirit who the disciples were supposed to wait in Jerusalem for, we don't have to wait. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell immediately in all who put their faith in Jesus. And we're called to that same mission. We're still in this in-between time. This is, what are the disciples supposed to do between the ascension and return of Jesus? Same thing that we're supposed to do. We're living in that same time. Between the ascension and return of Jesus, what are we to be about, church? We're to be about being witnesses for Jesus, right where we're at and even to the ends of the earth. This is what we're called to. Now, I would say this, though. This is, this is the call and the command for those who believe the gospel But that's the first step, believing the gospel. We hear elements of this. It, certainly, we see it clearly in the book of Luke, but we even see it here. Jesus suffered. Jesus appeared to his disciples. Jesus ascended to heaven. All of these things are essential. What you need to know, if you're coming in here this morning 
curious about Jesus, maybe having some religious background, but not yet ever having been given new life in Christ because you have not yet acknowledged that you're a sinner. You're the one, you're one of the ones for whom Jesus came. That Jesus came to save sinners. People who thought that we were doing a better job of being king than Jesus. People who thought we got to call the shots and we got to make the standards. And the reality is, we can't even live up to our own standards, let alone God's standards. And God knows this. He knows that we are not able to save ourselves through law-keeping and good work doing and religious activity. So He sends Jesus, who lives a perfect life and dies in our place for our sins is raised from the dead with victory over sin and death. We see that here in Acts, and we see that in the book of Luke, and hopefully you hear that clearly, and your response is, that's what I need more than anything else. I need to repent of my sin and put my faith in Jesus, living with Him as King. If that's what you need to do today, then when there's a time for people to be praying with people at the end of the worship service, come and tell those people, this is what I need today. I need Jesus as Savior and Lord. And for those of us who do trust Jesus as Lord and Savior, then we've got a job to do, don't we? What Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14 was this. Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We want Jesus to come back, but until he does, we have a job that this gospel of the kingdom goes to all nations. And so we're going to close by singing a song that reminds us of that and reminds us of the fact fact that this task that we've been given is still unfinished. And it's extremely important because real people are really dying without ever having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are facing a task unfinished, but we're not facing a task that, that, that makes us feel helpless. We have hope because of who Jesus is and because of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Yes, it drives us to our knees because it's way bigger than our vision. It's way bigger than the plans that we have, but, but we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And so we go to all the world with kingdom hopes unfurled, proclaiming the good news that no other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. Let's pray. God, this is what we proclaim. This is what we believe. I pray that you would be at work in those who are hearing this, having not yet believed it, that they would be saved and that that today would be the day where they trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior and the day in which your Holy Spirit comes to dwell in them and the day in which they come and join the rest of the church in this mission that you've given us. We long for Jesus to return. We'd love to know some details of the when and the how and all of that stuff, but I thank you that you make it clear to us what our role is right now as your people, that we would be people who would be making disciples by proclaiming the gospel, by being your witnesses, telling people of your life and your death and your resurrection and what that means for them. God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the work he has done and the work he continues to do. Be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen.